Dynasty Bulls podcast. Nick Hales is a rescue partner, and Joshua Johnson is here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bulls, presented by the Dynasty Football Wheel. Offensive coordinator in the world has the page where they go, okay, second and 14, here's what I want to run. All right, hosers, I want all 12 of us fighting for every meter on all three downs. But we're going to make this a boxing day the Prime Minister will never forget. Okay. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse podcast. I am your host, Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale for the Redskins Wager. Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. Uh, just really glad I had the Walking Dead to help me get through the football withdrawal the first Sunday with no football. How are you doing today? <laughs> uh, well, if I sound a little extra uh, happy, I normally sound ha- normally sound happy, I think. But if I sound a little extra happy today, it's because we're talking about the AFC West. It means we get to talk about my Oakland Raiders here very shortly, as um, your boy Q from the Black whole banter podcast is going to be stopping by uh very much so looking forward to that that should be a good time uh q also does his own radio show down in texas so he's going to be joining us on one of his breaks so i'm just glad he can glad he could join us today but we're we're going to really tackle the afc west today and see what we can find out answer some burning questions about these teams so if you have any questions about these teams make sure and uh uh, tweet me at Josh DF underscore DFW Pulse or at Nick underscore DFW Pulse, and we'll try to get that answered before the end of the show. Uh, so this, like I said last week, this is our start. We're going to kind of go through every division and try to answer, like I said, those burning questions about every team, um, you know, up to some skill position battles, biggest draft needs, that type of thing. So next week we're going to tackle the NFC West. And Bill Carroll's, or excuse me, Bill Latin is going to be stopping by us. We can talk about his Arizona Cardinals. And obviously, we'll tackle the rest of the teams in the division, too. But today, we have some dynasty dilemmas for you. We have two of them today, both within this division. Uh, but our first one is an IDP battle. We pit Vaughn Miller versus Justin Houston. Um, obviously, well, I'll get to I'll get to my point here on this uh, when I go. But Nick had the option to go first. He chose Vaughn Miller. So let's get warmed up. If you watch the playoffs, you know who Von Miller is. Five sacks, two forced fumbles, and an interception in just this postseason alone. Von Miller's not only the Super Bowl MVP, but is likely the biggest reason the Denver Broncos got there in the first place. 
Now, Josh, I believe you said a few weeks back that you've never seen a pass rusher get so low on route to the quarterback. But it wasn't just this postseason where the former number two overall pick has shined. He had 11 sacks in the regular season, whereas Justin Houston only had seven and a half. And that was his career low other than 2013 when he only played nine games. Now, he's not injury prone, though. He's played in at least 15 games every other season. Vaughn Miller is one of very few players that can challenge J.J. Watt for top defender in the NFL. Now, Justin Houston's a pretty good player. I'm not trying to diss on him, but his career hasn't been as consistent as Miller's. Of course, when we think of Justin Houston, the first thing that comes to mind is 2014 when he had the 22 sacks. But that was the only year he's had more than 11 sacks. And again, only had seven and a half sacks last year. A lot of statisticians will tell us to throw out the outliers. So that means we should expect 11 sacks to kind of be the ceiling in a typical year for Justin, just for Justin Houston. And again, 11 sacks is Vaughn Miller's career low in the four years he's played more than nine games. The biggest worry about Miller is that his play suffers a letdown after getting paid this offseason. But as a number two overall pick, he probably had a pretty nice payday as a rookie and still had 11 and a half sacks and three forced fumbles in his inaugural campaign. Both of them are, of course, weekly IDP starters, but I'll take Vaughn Miller first, no question. Josh? Hmm, okay. Well, oops, on the wrong page. Ah, well, obviously, um, I'm totally outmatched here. Uh, since Miller just showed the world his elite pass rushing skills and everybody, obviously, being named MVP now, everybody, everybody knows who he is. Uh, so basically, the question I have to ask myself is how do I stop a moving tree? Uh, well, you put a big old screw on the tracks. That's what I think you got to do. You put a screw, or my screw, our angle here is the offseason. Vaughn Miller is now known, but he's also now public enemy number one for all future Broncos opponents. And you can bet teams in the AFC West will employ fullbacks and tight ends to chip and cut Miller up and down the fields uh, next season. The same thing likely happened with Justin Houston last offseason when he was coming off that league high, league high 22 sacks. Injuries got the best of Houston in 2015, um, and some called him soft and considered him content after signing the massive contract. Now, Miller is a free agent, and whether he is franchise tagged or receives a mega deal, who is to say the same thing won't happen to him? Will he be content? After all, He's had some character issues in the past that caused his own team to suspend him as a rookie. Now, he seemed to bounce back uh, through that, but uh, big paydays have funny ways of doing weird things to people. Um, don't be fooled by the, uh, the Vaughn Miller glasses. He's, he's, not, uh, he's not the straight-laced uh, guy that he professes to be. He certainly had some issues in the past, and that, that always does bother me. I mean, we've... I think we also felt the same way about uh, Vaughn Miller. Uh, excuse me, we felt the same way about Alden Smith before he got into all those uh, legal troubles as well. Um, and he was also a very consistent player, as as was Miller. Um, also, quite honestly, I don't know if Miller's stock can get any higher than it is right now. Houston's effectiveness slowed others. A lot. Houston's effectiveness, rather allowed others in Kansas City's front seven to refine their pass rushing skills. Now, um, maybe Houston going into next season especially won't be the focal point um, very much unlike what's going to happen with uh, Vaughn Miller. So, Nick, any, any rebuttal there? 
Well, you mentioned the, the team suspended him as a rookie, but that was five years ago. Has he gotten into any trouble since then? I, I'm not aware of it if he has, so I really am not worried about his off-the-field stuff. Okay. Uh, very good point. Like I said, I'm up, up against a huge uh, huge moving train there in Vaughn Miller. Um, Q's going to be joining us here in just a few minutes, but you know, obviously we're going to be going through all the teams here today. We have another dynasty dilemma as we pit Demarius Thomas versus Emmanuel Sanders. Um, I think I'm going to get Nick on that one, but we'll just we'll leave it. We'll leave, we'll leave that for you to decide, I guess. Um, we're also going to do some dynasty trade analysis. We're going to do a little plant your flag, wash your hands action, and uh, some prospect profiles. Um, but now, uh, another thing that we do on a weekly basis, since we have a few minutes, is we allow Nick to uh, rant. It's where I give my co-host time to rant about something that's bothering him, something that's on his mind. Uh, usually it's football-related. Sometimes it is controversial. Sometimes I like to call it the shot fire. Nick, what do you got for us today, buddy? First off, i got to thank you, Josh, for giving me the idea for this rant. You know, sometimes nothing really jumps out and grabs me during the week, and I have to ask for a suggestion. And luckily, you know what buttons push to get me all fired up. So you wanted to know what I thought of someone trading Blake Bortles for uh, the 11th pick in the first round and the 9th pick in the second round. I thought that was just crazy. Uh, As is Bortles' uh, DFW ranking of quarterback number 21. 21. For a guy who finished quarterback number four for 2015, uh, seventh highest scorer of any position, in the fantasy season, Bortles had zero single-digit performances and had 20 or more points nine times. Is he a top-five NFL quarterback right now? Of course not. He struggled as a rookie, but coming out of UCF, scouts agreed he was raw and would take time to develop, which he did. In his second year, 4,400 yards, 35 touchdowns, plus uh, 300 yards and two scores on the ground. Uh, he's six foot five, two hundred forty-five pounds, and only twenty-four years old. Played in an exciting young offense that should only get better with time, and has a subpar defense that forces the team to throw the ball a lot. What exactly is there not to like from a fantasy perspective? You know, in a league filled with older quarterbacks, Tom Brady's thirty-eight, Drew Brees thirty-six, Romo's thirty-five, Carson Palmer thirty-six. Eli Manning, 35, Big Ben, 33, but I'd say he's kind of an older 33. Uh, Bortles is extremely undervalued right now. Uh, Josh, you wanted to know what it would take for me to trade him. First off, I'd have to have three quarterbacks already. So in DFW 16, where I only have him and Big Ben, he's pretty much off the board. It's too hard to get quarterbacks in that league. Now, uh, I also have him in a 12-team league we're in. I have him, Cam Newton, and Derek Carr, and I doubt I'd trade him there either. I think Derek Carr's value is worse perceived value is higher, so if I get an offer for Bortles, I'd likely probably try to give Carr for a little bit more, or if someone wants to break the bank for Cam Newton, even better. Uh, You said this year's rookie draft is similar to last year's. You want a top four pick, so any trade would likely have to involve that for starters. That did get me thinking, though. I should try to get him in my other leagues, too. What do you think, Josh? Uh, I was going to see if I could get him from one of you. Uh, Get him from you in one of our leagues, but I don't know if that's I do have pick 1.02 in our 12-team league, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, that's uh, that's also going to have some veterans in there since we're changing that league up a little bit. So that might be a little more valuable than you think. So uh, something to think about. But, yeah, I just I think some people are certainly trying to trade high on him. But I just think as a, as a football fan and a fantasy, you know, enthusiast, I, it's really hard not to be excited about 
everybody in that Jacksonville offense with, you know, maybe opposed to maybe, you know, Denard Robinson. I mean, Yeldon, who who's, I've been very vocal about, who I, I just don't like, he certainly has proved me wrong and been a very effective running back. I wouldn't be surprised if they do add another rookie running back in this class because this class is – I don't think it's as deep as last year, but there's certainly guys uh, that can do different things. And I'm not saying that to, to curse Yeldon's value, but they also got, you know, four receivers on this team and, and a great tight end and Julius Thomas and – at the helm of all of that is Blake Bortles. Why, why are you going to trade this guy that's showed maturity, showed that he can get better? Um, you know, I'm not saying he's going to throw for 50 touchdowns next year. I mean, don't be surprised if he repeats the 35 number or, or gets close closer to 40. I'm not trying to throw out predictions to to, to make really make people think, but I just think. I think 35 is something that we can expect from him going forward. Yeah, he's going to throw interceptions. When you put up the ball as many times as you do, he's certainly likely. But what's encouraging is he made better decisions last year. He he didn't throw as many interceptions. He he took his rookie lumps for what they were, and he he gathered himself and – Got got this team going. Yeah, they need defensive help too, and I and I am assuming they will address that in the draft. But I don't think that's going to to hurt Bortles' numbers at all either, because there's you know there's still some things going on with this team that are you know not not making them a playoff team. So he's certainly going to have to throw. And with a receiving core like that, you know he's he's got options, and that's just. I just I don't, I don't know how you can trade a quarterback like that. I I know some people might try to break the bank and trade high, but tr- just trading two getting two picks for him, I I don't think so. Especially if they're not like a, an early pick, I don't think so. You're not getting you're not getting an Ezekiel Elliott back in your return. You're getting a couple of receivers that maybe you like a little higher than everybody else. And I just don't think that is enough to get to get Bortles off off of my roster and of course I don't have him on my roster but uh, I said that in our Q&A a few months ago I said you know I'm ready to break Blake break the bank for Bortles because you know if you're let's say you're giving up a first and a second a high first and a high second this year what I mean what are you going to get with those players what I mean I my first two picks in the league last year were Kevin White and Rashard Perry you know I've said that before in the show but you know neither one of them played a snap so I mean if I'm getting Bortles a guy that I can probably trust just about every week with maybe, uh, you know, maybe you want to consider who your backup is uh, when they play the Texans, you know, just, he's, he's still a guy that he's, it's almost like a start your start issue with him. I think there's, there's a few, there's a few things where you want to question him, but uh, don't forget that he also knows that Houston team now a little bit better and he's going to certainly perform better than them. So yeah, uh, good point there. Uh, like I think Hugh is going to be joining us just shortly here um nick if you wanna you know if you're thinking about offers for Bortles, i mean you really lucked out with those three quarterbacks cam Carr, and Bortles. that is a stacked quarterback roster on that 12 team league trying to think i got yeah i got i got a real cluster i got sam bradford Foles, joe flacco and tyra taylor so that's that's uh Something to think about when you're doing startups. You can, you know, you maybe you want to wait on that backup, but it's, uh, and obviously, I wouldn't say you got lucky with Bortles and Carr. I mean, you you certainly put yourself out there and took two rookie quarterbacks, which 
not a bad thing to do because say both of them didn't pan out. That could be a an issue for you going forward. But uh, looks like you're pretty you're pretty set there for a while. So I mean, I don't blame you for not uh, not moving off of Bortles certainly. So um, plus any, the fact the fact any, that it's a best ball uh, league makes it a little more valuable. I think having the three quarterbacks in a best ball league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. And if you're not familiar with that, it's where you don't – best ball is where you don't set your lineup. It just automatically takes the highest score. Um, they're kind of fun. It's kind of a new trend, I think, in the dynasty community because, you know, when you're getting get people in startups every year, it's a lot of times it's their fifth and sixth dynasty team or whatever. So it's it's a little – it's a little hard to set all the lineups each and every week. But uh, So it's nice to have some best ball options like that. And, the, and it's nice that where you can, you know – not have to worry about when to play the rookie and whatnot, and it's a little it's a little bit of a dumbed down version. I, I don't disagree with that thought, but I think it's it's still kind of it's still kind of fun. It just adds an interesting aspect, and I think it makes you know some players like a Percy Harvin a little bit more valuable. I still dislike him very much, so but I, <laughs> uh, he's a free agent, coincidentally. Um, Speaking of free agents, free agents are coming up too. So, uh, uh, look, look forward to that. And I'm working currently working on a top 20 uh, receiver free agent receiver list. So uh, we got Q on the line now. Q, are you there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What's going down? All right. Welcome, welcome to the Dynasty Pulse podcast. We thank you so much for giving us some time today. So Q not only runs the black, helps run the Black Hole Banter podcast, but he has his own radio show as well. And he was on Radio Row during Super Bowl week, which is pretty darn awesome. Oh, and no big deal. You got to interview a guy named Fred Politnikoff. Uh, how is Fred, first off, Q? And why don't you just tell us a couple couple things about yourself? Well, uh, first of all, I'm a diehard Raider fan above anything. So, uh, you know, that that takes the, the, the cake. I mean, that's, that's the top of the line. It's all about the Raiders as far as I'm concerned. And so interviewing Fred Politnikoff, it was awesome. It was like the, the time of my life. Uh, something that I really look forward to. And, and the thing about it, man, he was so excited about the future of the Raiders, and he said that he really enjoyed what he saw from them this season. And even in games that they lost, they were still in it till the end. So he really feels like the future is bright for the Raiders as well as I do. Uh, he started naming some guys by uh, by name. Amari Cooper, obviously one of them, being a, a former Bolitnikov winner. Uh, I mean, it was just – he was very – excited about, like I said, the future of the Raiders and where they're headed, and, and it just made me feel even that much better. Okay, and then, like I mentioned, you also have your own radio show. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. A show called Unnecessary Roughness on uh, ESPN Central Texas. As a matter of fact, I just took a couple minutes uh, uh, off the show right now just to, to go ahead and check in with you guys because this is an uh, awesome little podcast that you guys have going on, so I, I definitely wanted to to do that uh, and be a part of it. But, yeah, we, we do this show every day, Monday through Friday from 11 to 2, where we talk about just about anything and everything. And uh, I'm real big on the NFL, obviously, so that's really my, my little niche right there. And uh, it, it's a lot of fun, man. And when you get to talk sports for a living, that's, you, you really can't ask for anything else, you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. We will Again, we appreciate you giving us some time today. Why don't we start on the defensive side of the ball? And by the way, I absolutely love the Black Hole Banter podcast. You and you and James do such a great job, and it's just it's just so real. I think you guys give you know you have realistic expectations, and sure you get down on them when they lose, but who, what team doesn't? And I just I right. really appreciate your guys' approach to that to the to the way you guys do your podcast. I do appreciate that. 
What uh, which Oakland defender is on the rise? And I'm, I'm, obviously, we know you know Mac is, is is becoming the force we, we wanted him to be when he got drafted. But who who else you got on there that's going to be be on the rise for us this year? Really, uh, the guy I'm looking at the most is going to be David Emerson. You know, a guy that was picked up from Washington. Uh, he, he was shown the door after a couple seasons after being a second round draft pick and. And started off slow with the Raiders, you know, and I thought, oh, this probably is not going to be a good fit. But by the end of the season, you know, he, he led the league in passes defense, uh, had, a, had about four picks, had a return for a touchdown, a forced fumble, and that was only like 14 games. That's a guy that I, I expect to see him with a second year in the same system under his belt, with him knowing his abilities and, and, and trusting his abilities and his, uh, you know, like instincts, trusting his instincts. Because as a defensive back, you have to be able to – trust yourself and know that what you're seeing and what you're reading out there is correct and not second-guess second yourself. And that's really what I think D.J. Hayden does a lot is second-guess himself, and that's why he ends up getting burnt. You know, a guy that, that thinks too much is going to be slow. So I think David Emerson is a guy that we really need to keep our eye on. I don't think he's a number one defensive back for the team, and I do think that that area will be addressed at some point, but a really, really good number two. I think he could definitely be a really good number two, and that's a guy I'm going to keep my eye on moving forward, especially in the next season. Yeah, and I still think yeah they need to they need to address that in the in the draft very early. Um, we could push Hayden down to Dimeback if we want to make him still feel good about himself. I think, but uh, um, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll, see, we'll get to that here in a second. What what's what's Raiders skill position player do you think is going to outperform his 2015 stats? Well, a guy that I think will really come out and tell you himself that he's going to outperform it is Amari Cooper, the number four overall pick, and. Really, we saw down the stretch he was injured. He admitted to hitting the rookie wall, and I think that happened around game 12 where he really kind of said, whoa, this is a long NFL (laughs) physical season, you know, and I think that uh, him being on Radio Row, I didn't get to actually talk to him, but uh, I did hear little excerpts of of interviews that he did with different people, including Sway, who's a a Bay Area dude, who's a good friend of mine, and he just basically said, like, hey, I hit the rookie wall, you know, this was a little bit more than what I expected going into the season, so – you know, he still ended up over 1,000 yards, had 72 catches, six touchdowns, but he dropped the ball 18 times. And I think that that's just him, you know, getting caught up into the speed of the game, trying to make things happen afterwards. I think he's going to realize that, hey, I need to secure the ball and then go. And, you know, and, and that is going to be where we'll see a guy like Amari Cooper who is really a perfectionist, a guy who really wants to work on his craft, who doesn't really care about getting praise and all that. He's, he's a real humble dude. He's going to go out and work on that and say, okay, this is what I need to do. Because, I mean, with 18 drops, realistically, he should have had about 85 catches at least. You know I mean? He had 72. He should have had about 85. Probably could have been close to 1,200 yards, probably a couple more touchdowns if he doesn't drop those balls. So I think he knows moving forward that, uh, you know, that has got to be his number one priority. And, I mean, I mean, if you think back, there was a guy named Jerry Rice who had a ton of drops his very first uh his very first season in the league, he turned out to be pretty good. So I'm not worried about Amari Cooper. I just want to see the improvement into next year. And I think the thing that's so nice with Cooper is having a guy like Crabtree on the other side. Now, I was a huge fan of Crabtree in college, and I thought we were going to see a lot more out of him at the NFL level. That that wasn't the case, but I think he's certainly matured and he's taken on that that leadership role, and I think he's been really good for him. Um, but speaking of receivers, what do we think about Seth Roberts? Now, he kind of came out of nowhere. I think everybody expected Streets and Streeter was healthy. He was going to help out and Andre Holmes. But really, the number three guy is Seth Roberts. Do you see that being that be 
a legit a legit statement going forward? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Rod Streeter was a healthy scratch week after week for a reason, and it was Seth Roberts. I mean, a guy who almost had about 500 yards receiving on the season, he he surprised me because, like you said, I expected Rod Streeter to come in and be the guy and, and you know, Seth Roberts maybe get a little bit of love, but there was something that they saw in, in Roberts in practice, and this is something that I admire about Jack Del Rio and his, his coaching staff, that it doesn't matter what your name was. If you weren't doing what you're supposed to be doing, they'll find a guy that can. If they see a guy that's actually putting in more work in practice, they're going to let them get onto the field. Andre Holmes is the guy that really frustrates me because he'll make a big catch and then the easy ones he'll drop. So I wouldn't, I would not be opposed to kind of weeding him more and more out of the game and, and actually giving Seth Roberts more. And if you look at it, a second year of Amari Cooper, Michael Crabtree, like you said, a, a really good guy who's playing a very good role for the Raiders, and then uh, Clive Walford, those three guys, they're going to take a lot of attention. So Seth Roberts could really have a big year if he just continues to grow. And I think that he will continue to grow. He had a few drops that were costly for the Raiders last season. But, again, this is a new role for him. So I think that he's really going to catch on. I mean, the guy had 32 catches and five touchdowns. And all the touchdowns he had seemed like they were always in big moments. They were never like uh, garbage-time touchdowns. They were always touchdowns that mattered, either put them in the lead or secured that lead for him. So I think that the more he, he gets uh, you know, accustomed to Derek Carr and accustomed to the game, and I think that he can be a real solid guy moving forward. And, again, there's a reason why Ross Reader was a healthy scratch week to week. So I, I like what we see from Seth Roberts. What do, you, what do you think there, Nick? Do you think the Oakland got a future Dwight? Uh, Gary, excuse me, Gary Clark, Art Monk, and Ricky Sanders. What do you think? I mean, that's very possible. I think that that offense could be really, really good. The the Raiders have potential to be a, a really great and dynamic offense. They just have to work out all the little kinks. You know, they have to get Clive Walford in there healthy through training camp. I mean, he kind of learned on the fly this season, and we saw some really good things from him and saw what they saw in him and what the hype was when he was drafted. He could be a really good guy. Then they have, you know, again – Cooper, they have Crabtree, <laughs> they have Murray in the backfield. I mean, who knows where they can use, what kind of weapons they could use. They have plenty of them, but they just need to continue to develop it and develop the game plan and, and you know, get creative, get creative with that offense. And that, that'll take them to the next level, but the potential is there. As a Raider fan, I'm thinking, man, this could be awesome. I mean, they could put up 28 points a game, 30 points a game, no problem mm-hmm. if they can figure out how to work it out. So, yeah, man, those those three guys at wide receiver, Roberts, Cooper, Crabtree, Walford as a tight end, that could be awesome moving forward. And both Streeter and Holmes are free agents. So if you're having any doubts mm-hmm. about Seth Roberts, just just remember that. What do, you, what do we think about Latavius? There's been a lot of mocks flying around that Oakland's going to add another running back, maybe early, or they've, you know, they've been linked to DeMarco Murray, even, even Matt Forte, I think. I think they're going to be linked about every big name free agent since they have the cap space. But what, what do we think? Is Latavius the man, or does he, does he need a, a, a partner in crime there? No, he needs a partner in crime, but I think that every every team needs two solid running backs. I think Murray is very solid. I, I like Latavius. I like what he brings. I don't like the way he was used. I felt like there was too many times he was used incorrectly. And, and what I mean by that is runs that – that don't work for him. I mean, he needs to get it out in space. He needs to kind of stretch the field a little bit. He needs to do the little stretch runs instead of always just going straight up the gut. You know, even off the right side, he looked like he was a better runner than he was just straight up the gut to him. And I feel like there's too many times he'd get a big run to start the game or sometime in the game he'd get a big run. Then all of a sudden they'd go away from him. And 
sometimes running backs, or a lot of times, running backs need to continue to be fed, you know, feed, 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 and do what makes him successful. You know, look at the runs that he was very successful at, and that's how you use him. Don't use him in runs that aren't working for him, and that's where your number two guy comes in. If it happens to be a Matt Forte, that's fine, because Forte can catch out of the backfield, and that's something I don't ever want to see Murray have to do, is them throw the ball to him, because that's the one bugaboo I have with him, that he is not the most confident guy when it comes to catching the ball in the backfield. So I really don't need to see him do that. But if you can get a guy that can catch the ball in the backfield and, and basically be what Roy Halu was supposed to be, and for some reason he just didn't pan out, I think that if Halu had panned out the way everyone planned, it could have been a great little dynamic. But it didn't work out that way. I saw a mock draft this morning that had Ezekiel Elliott going to the Raiders. I would have no problem with that. I would have no problem with that. I think that would be great. That would be a huge backfield right there. I mean, Home run hitters all over the field. I would have no problem with that. Plus, Elliott can catch out the backfield in a in a major way. So, uh, yeah, he definitely needs a number two guy. But is he a solid running back? Absolutely. I, I definitely like what he brings to the table. Yeah, and I think the thing about Murray is there's that perceived notion, excuse me, perceived notion that because he is a big back, he's just a between the tackles kind of guy. He's very nimble for his size, and he uses, like you said, he uses space well, and he knows what to do when he gets out there. Um, Nick, did you have any questions for Q? Um, I wondering about David Amerson. I was a Redskins fan, so I definitely did not see that transformation uh, coming from him. He was just horrible with us. So what was it that mm-hmm. uh, changed about his game? Do you know? I, I don't know. I just think that something about the the – scheme that Ken Norton tried, tried to run coming from Seattle where he has the bigger defensive backs. I know that's a new trend in the league where that's the cool thing. You know, have all the big defensive backs that are that are taller and, and could play bump and run where at one point the Raiders were the only team that did bump and run, but I won't even go back to that. <laughs> but the fact that he was able to figure it out. He was able to figure out that, okay, this is what I need to do. I need to be able to go ahead and try to locate the ball. And, and it's crazy because I, I, I have a co-host that's a Redskins fan and he said, yeah, Emerson wasn't worth a damn with us. And I'm like, I, I know, but he's playing good ball with the Raiders. And, and really when the Raiders needed him most because they really didn't have any answers. You know, I mean, T.J. Carey, in my opinion, is probably going to end up being a safety. And we all know D.J. Hayden. We all know the case with that. But Emerson really figured it out. And sometimes for defensive backs, it just takes a little bit more time to figure it out. Maybe he saw the writing on the wall like, hey, if this doesn't work out, I'm out of here. <laughs> I won't be in the league anymore. And sometimes that's what it takes to click. I don't know exactly what it was. But I'm not going to lie, down the stretch of the season, I was very excited by what what I saw from him. And early in the season with the Raiders, he wasn't that good. It was like, oh, here goes another guy. He's just another dude. But, you know, he turned on to be a pretty good guy, and he's going to get tested a lot because no one really respects him that much. You know, they don't think that, oh, he's a shut-down corner because he's not, but he's he's good, you know. And if you have 26 passes defense, then you know that that they're going to continue to test you. But as long as you make plays – you know, you can you can make it happen, and I I think he's gonna he's gonna be pretty solid moving forward. Okay, uh, I know I know you got to go, Q. But do you have any uh, uh, biggest draft need for for Oakland? I mean, it's a no brainer. You know, defensive back, safety, whatever whatever you want to call it. I mean, that that's I mean the secondary has to be addressed, and I'm not saying that it has to be addressed in the first round because I think there's a couple guys you can get in the second and third that are going to be solid moving forward. But you have to make sure that you address the 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 secondary. I mean, that's that's the biggest bugaboo. I mean, there you can find issues all over the team as far as on the defensive side of the ball, really, that you need help. But if your secondary is not going to be solid, it doesn't matter if your defensive line is good. It doesn't matter if your offensive line is good. If your secondary is terrible, it's just 
it's it's what it is. You know, teams are going to throw all over you, and and you're not going to be able to stop them. So uh, I I would just say that the secondary has to be addressed. Um, number four, fourteen overall, I think you're in a good position. You could probably pick the best player out there. You know, I know I just went on this big rant about the secondary, but at fourteen overall, you could probably pick the best player and then really focused in the second round. I think that a guy like William Jackson out of Houston is going to be available. I think he's really good, and he'll fit really well in that system. I also think a guy out of Baylor in my backyard here, Xavier Howard, I think he'll be available in the third round. I think those are two guys that can play straight up, bump and run coverage to the T and play it really well. So, you know, those are guys that you may be able to get in the second and third round, put Kerry back at safety, have Amerson, you know what I mean, and, and have a pretty solid secondary. But 14 overall, if – that mock draft I saw today, which I know is plenty of time away from the draft, but if Ezekiel Elliott was to be there at number 14 overall, I would have no problem drafting him because I think he'd probably be the best player available. You have to address that secondary. It's got to get done. It's got to get done during the draft and even free agency if you have to. But it, it has to get done right away. Yeah, and this draft is pretty pretty deep DBY. So, yeah, like I said, like you said, they don't have to do it in the first round. I think they can get some guys even like in the fifth round. I think there's be some, mm-hmm. some guys out there available. So thank you so much for joining us, Q. Uh, we appreciate you, and you can if you click on Q's name on our podcast right up here later today, you can go right to his Twitter page and give him a follow, and you can click on the Black Hole Banter link and go right there and try to, try to figure out how you can listen to the podcast. So thank you, Q, and we appreciate you, bud. Thank you. I appreciate you. All right. Kind of kind of surreal to talk to that guy actually. I, I'm a huge fan obviously being a Red fan of their podcast. So make sure you ch- make sure you check that out. I, I actually listen to a lot of team podcasts just because it gives you interesting insight into what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, Andy Andy Carlson does one for uh, Purple for the Wind for the Vikings. Uh Fran Duffy does one for the Eagles. It's 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 interesting, and they're out there. If you look, they are out there. You can find a podcast for just about every personalized for every team. And I know there's a Redskins one too, but maybe maybe Nick could tell us more about that. But uh, what, what do you think about Raiders draft needs, Nick? What do you, what, what would you do? Well, it seems like last off season we said every team needed offensive line help, but I think that has to be the biggest need for the Raiders. I mean, the starting guard, uh, Jamarcus Webb, and the left tackle, uh, Donald Brown, as well as Brown's backup, Khalif Barnes, are all free agents. I just think, you know, you have a great young quarterback there in Derek Carr. You have to prevent him from going through what his older brother David went through with the horrible offensive line play in Houston. Yeah, you know, they did draft the uh, Feliciano kid out of Miami last year who's certainly going to have an opportunity this year. Um, but I, I actually think this this pretty deep tackle-wise, too. So I think, I think you know, and, and a lot of those guys that play tackle, you could certainly mold and do a guard if, if that is needed or, or what you what you feel you can do with them. I think that's, that's okay. But I think, uh, I think they can get some guys late there, too. You know, I've seen some mocks where, Reggie Ragland's going in the first, and I would have no problem with that, but I just don't know if that would be, uh, you know, it, obviously it's going gonna, it's gonna to help our team. It's going to help. Whatever's going to help our team is good, but, you know, they got they have linebacking talent on that team already. The, the kid from Kansas, I'm escaping his name, he's a little undersized, but he plays with, with so much heart and so much gusto, and I think he's only going to get better, so. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about the draft. I wish they had maybe a few more picks, but uh, we'll see we'll see what they can uh, get going there. Um, they did re-sign Nate Allen, and like like uh, Q said, maybe T.J. Carey's going to play a little safety this year too. But there's 
there are safeties out there. J. Ron Kirsch, we talked about a, a month ago. Uh, the Kevin Byard kid uh, out of Middle Tennessee, a free safety that has a lot of speed. Kind of a kind of a combine snub. He wasn't invited to the combine, but I think enough people know about him now since he did he did make it to the Senior Bowl. He's a guy that I really like. I would love to see Oakland grab him like in the fourth or fifth round because I think he is certainly going to be available. And not going to the combine is going to keep his stock down to hopefully that fifth that fifth round level. So, uh, oh, I'm excited about the draft. We got, why do we got to wait? What did Jeff say last week? 78 days, and I will 71 days. Hmm. Uh, fun times. Um, dynasty. Let's get to some dynasty trade analysis. And you know, I got a clip for that. Um, just a few of them today, and one of us a little more uh, philosophical, shall we say? But let's get to. And the music is not going to work. couple this week. First one, John Brown and pick 2.09 for Tyler Eifert in a 2017 third. What are your thoughts there? Well, John Brown is a player I like, but that being said, I do uh, side with the guy that picked up Tyler Eifert. I just think, you know, getting a tight end that's easily a top five dynasty tight end for John Brown in the second, I think that's a very good trade. Plus, you're getting a future third round pick on top of that. Yeah, I, I got to side with Tyler Eifert. Yeah, I guess you know with the John John Brown, you're getting you're getting Brown and uh and the and an earlier a little bit earlier pick. But like you said, you know there's there's five or six John Browns probably out there in the league. Uh, Eifert, there's not too many too many guys like him. Uh, maybe maybe one potentially in the draft, but uh, not too many guys like him out there. So I think you're getting. You're stepping down a little bit in the draft, but I think you're a pretty good player in return. I would hope the guy that's given up John Brown has the abundance of receivers and uh, needs a little tight end help. So it's a trade that I think is pretty even and, and, and makes sense. So Okay, here's a big one here, Nick. 16-team league. I have picks 1.06, 1.09. Should I trade up to get Ezekiel Elliott? or trade down for an extra 2017 pick in hopes of landing a Leonard Fournette or Christian McCaffrey? What do you think? Well, first of all, to trade up, do you think that's enough ammunition to trade up to the top one or two picks? To get Ezekiel Elliott? I I think you'd have to throw in a player, too. Um, So that being said, I think Elliott's worth trading up for if you have the ability to do that. But uh, if not, then, yeah, I don't have a problem with trading down either. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't know for sure yet if Fournette and McCaffrey are coming out next year. I think a lot of people think that is going to be a realistic possibility. And, you know, but McCaffrey, I think, is certainly going to have his critics, and so is Fournette after some, some games where he wasn't as dominant as he was earlier in the year uh, last season. But it. If, if you're if you're trying to plan ahead and you're trying to build and you have you have players you know they can get you through the season, but you need that guy to get you over the hump 
you know, and if and you if you have ammunition, you have picks to move, and you don't like where you're sitting in the first. Why not? Why not try to grab another ticket? You know, pick on pick on those teams that are you know, really, really bad in your league and give them a couple more picks or whatever and see if you can maybe have their first round pick next year. I don't think it's I don't think it's a bad idea. Um I don't know if Elliot is worth trading up for. I mean I guess it depends on what you what you give. So I, I, I would probably lean a little bit towards uh the Fournette side. I'm just I'm just still a little cautious with Elliot and I, I, I just need to sit down and watch a little bit more film on him, but I'm trying to watch a lot of a lot of film right now. So I'm trying to watch players that I haven't watched yet. So um, I'm trying to finish my uh, seven round mock. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how that comes. No write ups, just the players. So um, it's it's almost done actually. It's going pretty well. But I need to. There's certainly some more players that I need to watch film on. So um, yeah, not a, not a bad idea there. But I, I think I would lean towards trying to grab the extra 2017 pick. And it's really good at predict predict excuse me, projecting on how the teams in your league are going to finish. Uh, that's, that's maybe new, who you need to pick up. So let's talk about the Kansas City Chiefs here, Nick. What do, what do we think about uh, Kansas City defender on the rise? Well, I believe Marcus Peters will be a shutdown corner within the next year or two. So whoever is opposite him could be a very nice IDP play. Uh, right now, Sean Smith and uh, Jamel Fleming are free agents. But that leaves a couple former third-rounders, uh, Philip Gaines and a guy we liked coming into last year's draft, Stephen Nelson from Oregon State. Uh, Nelson's a very feisty player. If he were to win that job, I would really like to him as far as an IDP guy on the rise. I love Nelson, too, but what, what is discouraging is I don't think he played any snaps last year. I, I, I know he probably played some, but it just was not 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 a lot at all, which was just just a little disconcerting for for my taste. Um, uh, one guy that I love who who struggled health wise last year, but uh, certainly certainly the seed was planted. I think for this team to trust him moving forward with with especially with Derek Johnson, a free agent, and that that contract probably be being a little too rich for Kansas City's blood to re-sign him. Uh, and Rameek Wilson, they drafted him last year. Now, they drafted another middle linebacker, too, in D.J. Alexander, but he didn't see the light of day. Uh, Rameek did, and when he played, when he was healthy, he certainly made a difference. And he made print for you to be excited about. And I think moving forward, he, he we certainly have a guy that we're going to see a lot out of. Now, they, they use, you know, some veterans here and there in that linebacking core, but Rameek's going to be, you know, they use the 3-4. Rameek's going to be the guy that steps in for Johnson and, you know, hopefully gets to that century mark and tackles. I, I think he certainly has the capability if he stays healthy. And I like the fact that he, you know, was kind of gently brought into the league last year, whether it be through injury or not. I think he's got enough, he got a taste, and now he is ready for uh, the main course to complete my awful metaphor. <laughs> Nick, are you hungry? Um, what do we think about Chris Conley, Nick? Do you think he could beat out Albert Wilson for snaps? Obviously, Conley was the freak of the uh, combine last year. Combine coming up this week, people next week, people. So look forward for that. But we know that the ability is there for Conley, Nick. But can he beat out Albert Wilson? 
Yeah, I think he'll end up being the wide receiver, too, there. He had 31 targets as a rookie. That was more than DeAnthony Thomas or Jason Avant. And considering that Conley was considered a somewhat raw, unpolished prospect, I think that's pretty decent for his rookie season. Albert Wilson only had 57 targets, uh, 35 catches, 451 yards, and two scores. He didn't exactly set the world on fire. You know, if he'd had 900 yards and eight touchdowns, I'd be a little bit more skeptical of Conley taking that job. But I think in year two, Conley can beat him out. I think so too. Conley had some injury injury problems in year one, which certainly didn't didn't help his case. Uh, but you know what is also encouraging is the rise of Mackland being more productive than a lot of people thought. So he's certainly going to get some defensive attention. And Kelsey's a pretty good tight end up the middle there for that team. And geez, I got three running backs, including you know Jamal Charles. We don't know what he's going to be like, but I think even if he didn't play a snap for Kansas City next year, I think he'd still be excited about that running game with uh, with Ware and uh, Charkandrick West. Sorry, it's been a while since I said that name. They certainly have a lot of talent around him. So a guy like Conley with that athletic ability is going to be free to do some things, and that that's something you really got to be excited about. And if you can buy low on Conley, I would I would highly recommend doing that just because I think he's got he's got real talent, and uh, I would not uh, would not discourage you at, at all if you, if you're able to buy low. You know, don't don't pay too much for him. And I think that the people that drafted him probably are probably excited about him like we are. Um, so you might have to give up a little more than you wished for, but. Uh, Certainly not a bad candidate to look at there in Kansas City. Just like I said, we we know the athletic ability is there. Uh, so we talked about him a little bit last week. But Travis Kelsey did just the same in 2015 as he did in 2014. With this offensive scheme, Nick, can he get any better? Well, he had about 870 yards, 70 catches, and five scores each of the last two years. Uh, they say tight ends take three years. He didn't hardly play at all in week one, had zero catches, in year one, had zero catches. So this will be his third year on the field. Uh, it's tough to predict a tight end going over 900 yards, which would have to, which is what he would have to do to improve on that. But I do think we can see the touchdown numbers go up. You know, if Jamal Charles returns, then they'd have three quality running backs. They've got a young receiver core with a, another year experience. I think the team as a whole should score more touchdowns this season, and that would uh, help Kelsey's touchdown numbers. Yeah, he certainly has the, the red zone vertical abilities there. And, yeah, I think he only has 10 career touchdowns. We talked about him in the Dynasty Dilemma last week. He has got five in each of the last two seasons. So that's not a huge number to surpass. So I, I, I certainly agree with you there, Nick. I think that is a, a large possibility. And with, you know, with the stout running game and Macklin getting more attention, more than likely from defenses, I think I think you're going to see that. Um, what do we? What do you think about Jamal Charles, Nick? I just it's because he's coming off tearing the other ACL now. What what do we think? I mean, it's it's easy to think that we're, we can never see him again because I, I and I hate to say it, but I, I honestly don't think Kansas City needs him moving forward. What do you think? Yeah, they don't need him, and it'll be interesting to see what they do uh, cap-wise if he ends up being a cap casualty. But uh, I I think he's young enough. I think he's got one more year of solid production left in him. Uh, I wouldn't, if I were a dynasty owner, I wouldn't be looking at him in in anything more than a one-year investment. But Mm. well, and with the fact that they have they have running backs that proves themselves behind him, 
they certainly, you know, don't have to rush him back into this lineup too. And that could help him, you know, him coming back and getting his, his effectiveness uh, level up there too. So um, biggest draft need for Kansas city. Now mocks, mocks are going all over the place nowadays. Um, but I, I really think it's the defensive line. Um, they just, they, they have a couple players there that do some good things, but I just think if they add like another true weapon, like right now in my mock, I have Shalit Calhoun going to them at 28. Um, kind of, Certainly, it would be a, a little bit different mold for him since they have uh, they play the three four and he's mainly from the four three, so he could maybe do the the, the sit up the stand up and the sit down type of thing for them. But uh, I I think that's maybe a direction they want to go into. And if they like another three four guy out there on the defensive line a little bit better, you know, a guy that can play that three four D tackle slash you know defensive end, um, I. I certainly think that's the case there. What do you think? Well, I think the Chiefs could go cornerback. You know, if free safety Eric Berry leaves, that position would be a possibility, although it is uh, said that that's a priority for him is re-signing Eric Berry. But you mentioned the defensive line. The front seven in general has a lot of free agents. Jay Howard, Derek Johnson, Mike DeVito, Frank Zombo, Tom Bahali. That's four starters and a backup. They'll probably look to replace one of those guys. Front seven would be my guess. Well, and they do have D Ford in place, and but it's it's not a bad idea, you know. Maybe maybe a guy like Jaron Reed out of Alabama, maybe a little better suited to play the their three their three four style there. Um, but I certainly certainly think that's an, a thing they need to address. And I know it's it's weird because you know when I see all these people say needs for like you know my team or or whatever team, and I just I. I don't know. I don't think I have a better perception of their depth chart, but you see players that they that have been there that certainly need, not not necessarily need, but should get the opportunity to fill roles, and it it, it makes you makes you wonder. And I know these are just mocks, as our buddy Gene Clemens calls them. They are they are mockeries of the system, but uh, it's interesting to see people's perceptions there. Because I, like you like you talked about earlier, if, if Stephen Nelson was to get a shot, I think he could certainly fill that role well but you know with the passing offenses we see nowadays you need a third corner you need a, a legitimate third corner so that's certainly a, a thing there too but with this draft being as deep as it is uh defensive back wise i think i think they don't need to do that early and they certainly are in position to take the best player available and i think there's a lot of very good players available late uh, you know, late first, early second, that some people are going to be very happy with. A um, little plant your flag or wash your hands. Ugh. What do we think about Jay Samaro there in New York? He certainly had his struggles as a rookie uh, and then missed the entire season last year. But he's a guy that I own in a handful of leagues and I'm pretty, still pretty excited about. Can he can he make that transition, Nick, to the traditional NFL tight end and still catch – a lot of balls for me. What do you think? Well, I mean, if you held on to him all year, there's no need to cut it now. But uh, I think if by mid-October he's not producing, I think he should be on a pretty short leash. He, he's not a guy I'm rushing out to buy low on either, but I think he's still worth a stash if you already have it. Uh, plant your flag, I guess, in the dirt, but don't cement it in with concrete yet, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I love how we can play with this one just a little bit. Um, yeah, 
and the thing that you you can't you can't discount now with the Jets and obviously Fitzmagic is a is a free agent. I think they will be up him. But with Marshall and Deckard now firmly in place and and Devin Smith looking to take over that slot role, you know, the guy the guy that's gonna be getting the, the mismatches tomorrow until he proves otherwise. So I think he's a guy that if he performs well early, he might be a guy to to churn and try to trade trade high on. But, you know, this guy caught a thousand balls at Texas Tech. He was such a huge part of the receiving offense. Um, but it was also a different offense, not a traditional NFL style, you know, that kind of that Mike Leach spread type of thing where he didn't do a lot of blocking. So he certainly has some things to learn, and I hope he took his his uh, red shirt injured season here very seriously and was able to, to figure some things out on film. But I, I, he's still a guy that I believe in his his talent as a pass catcher, and that's the, the kind of tight ends we want on our dynasty roster. So buy low. Please buy low. And uh, like Nick said, plant your flag in the dirt. Don't cement it into the ground. Uh, Albert Wilson. Now, we talked about him a little bit with Conley, but, you know, I think people are going to be more encouraged by his production than, you know, than, than just turned away from him just because, you know, he wasn't that productive prior to that. What do you think? Yeah, I think I'm going to have to wash my hands. Uh, we, we mentioned the competition from Chris Conley for targets. Alex Smith is his quarterback. I would And I would be looking to trade him before the draft, just in case Kansas City were to add another pass catcher in, say, the second, third, fourth round, something like that. I mean, wouldn't you be looking to add somebody to compete if you ran a team that still featured Jason Avant running thumb sets? I, I, I think they're going to add another receiver at some point in the draft. So I would try to trade him before that. Well, the 32-year-old Avant is actually a free agent. So, uh, they've, they've washed their hands of him, so to speak. And I, I agree with you on Albert Wilson, too. I just – if somebody is a fan of him, yes, get rid of him. Be ready to wash your hands of him. Uh, Zach Brown, Tennessee Titans, middle linebacker, Nick. What, what do you think there? People expected a little bit more out of him, but he certainly had his struggles last year. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. Can I answer neither? I mean, he's a free agent. Last year, the 2012 second rounder couldn't beat out the aging Wesley Woodyard for the starting job. You know, if he re-ups with Tennessee, I'd probably wash my hands. But now he played in all 16 games last year, only had five starts, but he did still have 77 total tackles. So if somebody does sign him to be their starter, then he'd be a plant my flag guy for sure. But, you know, right now it's just too up in the air. Yeah, there's certainly teams out there, you know, uh, I think um, Rolando McLean is a is a free agent there in Dallas too. That wouldn't be a a, a bad option for them. I don't think um, for to for them to get Brown. So I, I do I do agree with you there. But I'm just I'm struggling to 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 really find a lot of value there. He is still young, but I I think going to a new team isn't necessarily going to uh, going to help his his um prospects moving forward so I, I think you can wash your hands with him and you know unless you know he's named the starter in, the, in a really good defensive scheme I mean look what happened to Curtis Lofton last year people got really overexcited that he went to Oakland and he's going to have Ken Norton Jr. as his D coordinator and he really just just disappeared I mean he just did not perform like everybody expected and you know when you're coming to a new, new system it's certainly going to take time so I, I 
you know, the clock is ticking on his career. I know he's still in the mid the mid twenties, but uh, with a new team, you're not sure what's going to happen there. So I think you could wash your hands and you know wash your hands and then keep that flag on him as you want to maybe watch and see what he's doing. Maybe you can scout team him or whatever your your desired site this able able to enables you to do uh what about koa misi in in miami there nick uh guy that really came on at the beginning of the season uh but uh this this team's looking to probably to add certainly more linebackers there so he could certainly be odd man out there what do you think well, yeah, he's another former second-round pick. Uh, played and started 13 games last year, but zero turnovers. He's only had two turnovers on his six-year career. Zero sacks. He's only had 12 sacks in six years. Uh, last year, he did have his career high in uh, total tackles with 77, but if a linebacker isn't a turnover or a sack threat, I just need to see more tackles than that. You know, of course, if he signs the team that will use him differently, that can change, but for now, I'm going to wash my hands. Yeah, you know, I washed my hands on him before the season last year. That certainly didn't uh, didn't help my cause in a lot of leagues. But uh, um, yeah, and he, what? Did you have an age in him? I think he's twenty nine, thirty years old. So he's certainly certainly getting up there. He might be a, a one year rental in the right situation. But I, I I would certainly wash my hands and and remember that you dropped him. Maybe maybe he'd be available, but he's certainly somebody that if he has a couple big games, I think people are going to jump on on the waiver wire. So let's move on to the Cincinnati, excuse me, the San Diego Chargers. Now another free agent here in Dontrell Edmond. Uh, but I think um, San Diego liked what they saw of him. And there has been some, some rumors that they want to re-sign him given, given the price tag. Are, are we ready to start him in our leagues, Nick? What do you think? I mean, he is opposite. If he does get re-signed, he would be opposite Keenan Allen. So what do you think? Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, last year, 35 catches, 480 yards, and three scores. I just don't see a huge jump, jump coming. You know, I, I believe they're going to go after a solid number two in the offseason. Uh, Malcolm Floyd, I believe, is retiring. Uh, Antonio Gates and Ladarius Green are all free agents. If they're all gone and the team doesn't upgrade, then I think he'd be a decent flex option probably. But I'll be surprised if he's higher than a wide receiver three on the depth chart. And that's if he beats out Stevie Johnson or a rookie that he's going to have to compete with. So I don't, I don't trust him yet. Yeah, you know, there is something to be said about a guy that's been around a team like Enman has for for a couple of years now, and I think there there is a lot of trust in him. And I and I know Philip Rivers likes him, but I I just I just can't uh, put a lot of stock in, it, especially with him being a free agent. You don't know what situation he's going to to end up in. I would love to see him back in San Diego, and there and then I would say, you know, maybe you know, print plant a temporary flag in him until you have to make roster cuts come uh come August. But uh if he goes to a different team I would certainly you know drop him when he needs the space because I think that's uh not gonna be an easy transition for him. But I, I would if he gets signed back in San Diego, uh, he's certainly a player to watch. I, I actually like him a, a little bit more maybe than I should, but I think he certainly has some 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 talent, and I think I watched him figure out a few things last year. So he's an intriguing player to me, but not a, not a guy that I'm overly excited about. So never plant your flag till August until you got to make roster cuts if he stays in San Diego. Oh, should Melvin Gordon owners Nick remain patient? What do you think? 
I think you pretty much have to at this point. I mean, you used a top four pick on him to get him, and there's no way you're getting anything close to that in return. So, you know, of course he may end up being the next Trent Richardson, but after spending a first-round pick, the Chargers likely are going to give him at least another year to develop before before moving on. So I think you have to be patient if you own him. Now, interestingly enough, I got to hear Mike McCoy on – Mike Florio's show, the Pro Football Talk radio show this morning. And McCoy just talked about how the the main one of their main things with their offense is they try to get all the running backs involved. So, you know, I think that certainly hurts Gordon's value. And I don't necessarily think they're going to draft another running back, but I know they want to get Woodhead and they want to get uh, Brandon Oliver the ball when he's healthy. So they they all those running backs go into the game knowing that they're going to play and, you know, and until Gordon has that breakout game, or he actually scores a touchdown, until he has that breakout game, I, I think you, you just you have to remain patient. You know, if somebody somebody wants to get him from you when he has that breakout game, I think he's ready to go, certainly pull the trigger there. But you, like Nick said, you, you drafted him more than likely with a t- one of the top three picks last year, or you traded Martavius Bryant for him. Uh, oh, wait, that was me. Um, you need to you need to just be patient with him and yeah yeah Ugh, zero touchdowns I'm never going to get over that maybe when he finally scores one I will it's okay all right now I'm going to attempt not to get too overhyped about Denzel Perryman but we've talked about other defensive players on the rise Perryman is a guy that people called too short but you know what good luck getting around this guy because he hits so hard I watched him play Green Bay and he just devoured the 280-pound Eddie Lacy or whatever he weighs nowadays. The guy could hit. He, I don't care that he's 5'11 or 5'10 and three-fourths. He is a guy that's going to be entrenched in this defense for a long time. It didn't take him, you know, all season to beat out Donald Butler. Him and Teo there in the middle for this team are going to, are going to be very good. And Perryman is an IDP guy that you need to be very, very excited about. If you own him, do not trade him because you're just going to be kicking yourself. What, what do you think about Denzel Perryman, Nick? Yeah, he's a great young player. He's only going to be 23 this season, uh, played in 14 games, had nine starts last year, 67 tackles, two sacks, and a forced fumble. He outproduced Donald Butler, even though Butler's listed higher on the depth chart. I think he's going to have a great future. Like you said, if you have him, hold on to him. Yeah, and I, and I know we're not the only ones excited about him. Bruce is, and Bill is from our from our IDP time, IDP team here. So there's there's a lot of people excited about him. So do what you can to get this guy. Um, startup value, you know, I think he's certainly certainly going to be down there in the in the linebacker thirty range. So I think you can you can certainly afford to wait on him until those middle teen rounds, but. Uh, He's definitely a guy you want because he's a guy that you could build your IDP team around in that full format. So I, I, I'm very excited about Mr. Mister Perryman. And I don't think I, I didn't shout. I didn't get too overhyped about him. But I'm very excited about Perryman. And if you don't know that already, you need to you need to do strong consideration when you're getting putting your team together for Mr. Denzel Perryman there in San Diego. And you know I really like him because 
I mean, he plays for the Chargers, and he's a former Miami Hurricane. So I'm not just, you know, as a Raiders Raiders and Florida State fan, I'm not necessarily going to jump on somebody like that, you know, if, they, if, if I don't really truly believe in their talents. Uh, biggest draft need for, for San Diego, Nick, what do you think? Well, possibly safety, since it seems that Eric Weddle's out the door. Uh, right tackle, maybe. Uh, Joe Barksdale's also a free agent. But, come on, I think they have to get Phillip Rivers a real second option behind Keenan Allen. Uh, when Allen was healthy last year, it seemed like he caught 15 balls every single week. And when he went down, there was just nobody else good enough on that team to pick up the slack. A wide receiver has to be a focus, I think. Um, I do hear what you're saying. Um, I think they can afford to wait because I think – do not be surprised if there's only one wide receiver drafted in round one. I, I honestly believe that. There could be maybe three, but I do not think it's going to be higher than that. If just Latron well, – excuse me, Laquan Treadwell goes to Detroit, don't be surprised if nobody – if all the other receivers make it out of the first round. That being said, you know, there's a guy where I'm going to talk about next week, Rashard Higgins for Colorado State that I think can do some things. There's a couple bigger offensive linemen down the road in the draft, to, excuse me, excuse me, bigger wide receivers uh, that they can wait on. There's a Chris Duarte guy out there in UCLA who's kind of going to try to make, it, make a go of it at the tight end position. He's been compared to uh, Jordan Reed size and athletic wise, six three two you know two thirty eight. So not a not a prototypical NFL tight end, uh, but if they use him like like they, Washington uses Reed, especially consider that with Antonio Gates being a free agent. I think I think there are certainly deep players. Um, Leontay Carew out of Rutgers is another one that I really like, but I think their biggest need just. Just take your pick. Those first two rounds, best player available, offensive or defensive line. They just need to get something up front. I also think they need to address uh, the heir apparent to Phillip Rivers, maybe starting around five or five to seven, obviously, because um, there, there is quarterbacks that will be available deep in this league, uh, excuse me, deep in this draft, um, even if it's a guy like Cardell Jones. I don't think nobody's going to start – draft Cardell to be their starter next year. Uh, Nate Sudfeld out of Indiana. There's some certainly guys that are in the mold of Phillip Rivers that they can afford to let, let sit there for one year and learn from him. But offensive and defensive line, they just need, they need some, some guts. They need some, you know, some, some manpower up front that the offensive line obviously is going to help their running game. Defensive line is only going to help, the, the secondary, if they can get some just some athletes up front that can really move the pile, that can just, you know, create havoc on the defensive line and just create space for their offense. Um, they have early picks. I have them going with Spencer Drago in the second kind of a guard tackle uh, hybrid there out of, out of Baylor. Joey Bosa is there at three for them. They have to pull the trigger. I see these Mox or Bosa's going like pick six to nine. I mean, come on. He's not going to last past past Baltimore at five. I honestly don't think that. But if he is there at three, San Diego needs to pull the trigger because he, he's kind of the – I think he's a longer version of Howie Long. He can play all up and, all up and down the defensive line. And what, what, a, what a piece to have. You know, they, have, they already have Corey Leggett who plays the defensive tackle defensive line, you know, defensive end type of thing in their 3-4. If they can get Bosa to, to even, you know, stand up on some 
some downs and get him down on the line and some other ones. He's He has the length to do a lot of things, and I think that's something they have to do with that third overall pick. Uh, it is time for the second dynasty. Excuse me. Second dynasty dilemma as we pit Emmanuel Sanders versus Demarius Thomas. Um, now, the, I have the chance to pick this one here. So I chose uh, Demarius Thomas. So I will go first after some short clip. Okay. Demarius Thomas versus Manny, Emmanuel Sanders, so basically DT versus Manny. This dilemma is very, very, very close. These players are on the same page. Excuse me. These players are the same age, and they're both entering contract years. Um, yet what makes this close is is the fact that Demarius is a bum, right? He can't catch a cold standing outside naked in the snowstorm. All those drops he had in the playoffs, I think people see his value down. Meanwhile, Mandy Sanders is clearly the straw that stirred Peyton Manning's half-empty drink this past season. Uh, Speaking of quarterbacks, as of right now, we don't know if Brock Osweiler or Christian Ponder or Question Mark will be throwing passes for Denver next season. I think that has to favor right now the big-bodied Thomas. Sanders is a late bloomer, and it's no coincidence that he had his best two seasons because he was flanked by Thomas in his Denver offense. Uh, By the way, that bum, Thomas, had 105 receptions for 1,300 yards and six touchdowns, and that was widely considered a down year for him. Is he starting a downhill decline? Maybe, but he will still be a top 20 wide receiver for the next two seasons while regressing. Now, the 5'11", 185-pound Sanders has been a great story since joining the Mile High Donkeys two years ago, but the Kubiak offense does not sustain wide receivers who, can re- who can't repeatedly hold up while run blocking. I know run blocking has nothing to do with fantasy people, but if you go, I actually went back through and looked at the receiving numbers for every single team that Gary Kubiak has coached within, in, in the NFL and no short wide receiver has any kind of production beyond 20 receptions in this offense. That's that's just a cold hard fact. So that's 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 my background of where I'm coming from with that statement. Standing six foot three and weighing 230 pounds like Thomas helps immensely. Now, if you were choosing between two rookies, Nick, you got to defer to size. And I know my boy Bill Servi would agree with me there. Demarius is a former first-round pick, and for 90% of his career, he has played like one. Post-Tebow, Thomas has four straight seasons of 1,300 yards and at least 90, at least 1,300 yards and at least 92 receptions, although having a career average of 14.5 yards per catch. Sanders has two seasons over 1,000 yards, both with Demarius Thomas, and he's never topped 740 yards in a season while in Pittsburgh, even when he was the wide receiver, too, after Mike Wallace's departure. Nick, what do you got for us on Emmanuel Sanders? Well, Josh, you got to choose first, and you took Demarius Thomas over Emmanuel Sanders, and of course you did. I mean, removing everything else from the equation, you're going to take the guy who's bigger, more talented, has a longer history of big-time production, and during their two years together in Denver, Thomas has two more touchdowns, and each year has 200 more yards. 
but we don't live in a vacuum, and you have to look at uh, players' perceived value. Uh, Demarius Thomas is DFW's wide receiver seven. That's in the same neighborhood as guys like DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Evans, A.J. Green, and Amari Cooper. That's some pretty prestigious company. That's going to cost you a lot in a trade or a first-round pick in a startup draft likely to land with any of those guys. Um, now, where's Emmanuel Sanders, who, by the way, like you mentioned, is the same age as Thomas? Sanders is the wide receiver, 28, 21 slots lower. So in startups, that's late third, more likely a fourth or fifth round pick for a guy that's only getting 200 fewer yards and one less touchdown per year than his first round counterpart. I mentioned the elite young talent ranked up high with uh, uh, with uh, Demarius Thomas. Who's ranked near Emmanuel Sanders? Guys like John Brown, Nelson Aguilar, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Parker. I mean, I'm an Aguilar owner. If anybody wants to trade me Sanders for Aguilar, please hit me up. Uh, but if I had Thomas, I'd be trying to sell high. I don't think his value in the future will ever be higher than wide receiver seven. And in a startup, if I'm towards the end of the first round, I'm bypassing the soon-to-be 29-year-old receiver for either a younger stud receiver or Gronkowski or a top-flight uh, running back or quarterback and then seeing if I can't maybe nab Sanders in the fourth round. I'm just not uh, – Thomas's value is too high for me right now. Well, I just want to say – couple things you're really good at this uh and secondly you said it yourself that you would pass on thomas so i think that his value is certainly down and where he's not going to last to the fourth if he's there in the third round of a startup or the late second and you have you know the the pick the two picks at the end of the second first and the third i just i think that's a realistic possibility and i think he's a player like Larry Fitzgerald, that re- could really have some really solid production. Look at look what a guy, and I know I'm just talking about a different guy here, but look at what a guy like Larry has done with how many different quarterbacks there in Arizona. Demarius Thomas actually put up decent numbers with Tim Tebow. Obviously, if Peyton Manning's your quarterback in his prime, you're going to put up great numbers. I I think he is the player that can help his new quarterback, whoever it is, really come and do his own. I just don't think Manny is that player. And where where his value is right now, I think they both, you know, I think I think Demarius people are down a little bit down on Demarius. And I think Emmanuel Sanders is maybe just still a little higher ranked considering what I see his future to be. So that's that's all I got for you. But you are very good at this. Um let's talk about those Denver Broncos or as my Raider Nation fans like to call them the donkeys. Um Hillman or CJ. Now, the one thing that comes into this equation is the fact that Ronnie Hillman is a free agent. So does that make us lean CJ Anderson here, Nick? What do you think? Uh, yeah, you know, even if Ronnie Hillman returns, I would take C.J. Anderson. And, and yes, that's a change from what I had said most of the season. I was more on the Hillman train than uh, C.J. Anderson. But I would rather have neither, to be honest with you. Anderson, just <laughs> a guy who you or Denver can rely on week in and week out. I think if Hillman returns, I expect to see them continue the hot hand approach. And if not, I would guess they are still going to bring in somebody else to compete with C.J. Anderson for touches. So I don't really trust either of them, but if I had to pick one, I would be C.J. Anderson. Well, you want to see your team bring back, you know, free agents. You you really got to consider what it's going to cost to bring a, a guy with veteran status back like Hillman. And um, 
Coach Brian Billick said something on the Daniel Jeremiah podcast a few months ago that really stuck with me about how he tried to build teams when he was coaching is you have to diversify, excuse me, you have to diversify positions. I'm not sure what that noise was that came out of my mouth. Um, but you can't go through a season like Tampa Bay and have a bunch of six, five pass catchers. You need that little guy in there. You need that. You need to have diversity to help, you know, separate and spread the offensive round. Now, both Hillman and CJ are the shorter molded running backs. I think CJ is a little bit thicker chested while Hillman's definitely an, an off tackle guy. I don't think Hillman would be re-signed by Denver because I think they need to diversify. And I'm not saying that's they're going to do what I am telling them to do, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them add a bigger back that they can maybe, you know, the whole Brandon Jacobs, Tiki Barber factor keeps coming back into play. But you need to have two backs, like you said earlier with Oakland. But I wouldn't be surprised to see them bring in a bigger back, whether it be via free agent, even though the free agency running back class is not that great. Um, or the draft, a guy that you can count on straight up the middle. And Gibbs, but and that's, I don't think that's going to take value away from C.J. because, yes, he might take some touchdowns away from C.J., but that's going to allow Anderson to be uh, more of that pass catcher out of the backfield like we saw him flourish with not last year but the year before there in Denver. So definitely look to see what how they address that situation. But I – I'm intrigued by C.J. Anderson right now. And Hillman, if he comes back, I think he's a guy worth considering on your roster. If he goes somewhere else, I really don't know what his role is going to be at this point to make that decision. Um, is the Denver quarterback position attractive if it's not Peyton Manning? So regardless who the quarterback is, we just talked extensively about their top two wide receivers. What, what do we think? I mean, obviously, Osweiler is probably going to be on a lot of dynasty rosters. And he's if he's retained in Denver, he'll probably, you know, be a be a 10th, 11th quarterback off the board. I'm, I'm just told it yesterday. But what do we think about just the Denver position as a whole? Obviously, it matters who it is, but what do we think about it right now with, with the talent they have in there? Well, honestly, if it's Osweiler, I'm not excited about it, not for fantasy purposes anyway. Uh, Osweiler played in eight games, had 10 touchdowns, six interceptions, took 23 sacks. His yards per attempt were less than a half a yard better than Peyton Manning's, and he was under 250 yards per game. Uh, I'm not saying Brock Osweiler can't play. He may have a nice career as a game manager type of quarterback, but with weapons like Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders to work with, you'd expect better numbers than he produced. So if if he's the quarterback, I'm not excited. Well, going back to something we talked about earlier, Nick, would it be a stretch to say you maybe felt the same way about Blake Bortles last offseason as you do about Osweiler right now? I mean, obviously Bortles played in, in more games. What do you think? Um, a little bit, but I, I mean, Osweiler had how many years to sit and learn behind Peyton Manning? You know, Aaron Rodgers, when he came out, he came out and was pretty much on fire right away, if I remember correctly. Uh, so you would have hoped with as much time as Osweiler had to develop on the bench that he would have done the same. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And I, and I think the Kubiak system is certainly a little, little more conservative than, than you want out of your dynasty quarterback one QB one so that's certainly something to uh come into play I had to throw the Christian Christian Ponder in there and in, in my rant I 
there I saw an article kind of kind of one of those articles that slips through the cracks about he was maybe eligible to get a Super Bowl ring since he was on Denver for I don't know like three weeks or something like that. I think I think you have to be have a, a certain amount of service time with the team in order eligible to get a ring. You know, but I mean they, everybody everybody in that organization gets a ring. You know, the bus driver probably gets one. So good for Christian if he got a ring. <laughs> uh, maybe he can sell it for some money. But anyway, uh, Sister Christian Ponder, as I know Nick likes to refer to him as. Uh, with all three tight ends and Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders in contract years, will and we I think we want to see some more from Cody Latimer and Nick, but I think he might be limited again with all those guys in contract years. What do you think? Yeah, we're not going to see any more from him. It's not like he was only behind those stud guys that you mentioned. In 14 games that he played, he had six catches. Six. That's less than Andre Caldwell, Benny Fowler, Jordan Norwood, uh, plus the tight ends Virgil Green and Vernon Davis, who wasn't even there all year. You know, uh, as a Raiders fan, I'm guessing you're pretty happy that Denver used a second-round pick on a special teams gunner, right? Yeah, I just you know everybody was so excited about him, and I never really got got on the hype train. I, his college tape was nice, but there's a reason that he. I mean, I I know he I said had six catches, but it was like eight or nine weeks into the season, I think, before he got that first one. Um, and like I mentioned, yeah, Virgil Green, Vernon Davis, Owen Daniels. DT and Manny are all going to be free agents next season. So, you know, if you're really, really excited about Cody Latimer, you're going to have to wait one more year and see what happens, I think. But I'm sure he'll be a free agent after that, the following year. So I I just don't see it. Like you said, who the hell is Jordan Norwood and Benny Fowler? I mean, <laughs> if you're excited about Cody Latimer and he's getting beat out by – Guys, you know, I think Fowler was a undrafted free agent out of Michigan State. Maybe he was a seventh round pick, but yeah, he's he's not on the field for a reason and not getting production. You know, maybe you could be a little more excited about him because you think there is some, you know, some kind of camaraderie with him and Osweiler, but because of their both backup factors. But yeah, he's a backup for a reason right now. So, oh, uh, I think we're saying wash your hands and Cody Latimer, Nick. Um, what do you think is this team's biggest draft need, Nick? Uh, well, you look at the front seven again. Von Miller, Malik Jackson, Derek Wolf, and Danny Trevathan are all free agents. They're not going to lose Von Miller, of course, but they they may need to replace somebody else in that group. And, you know, Brock Osweiler didn't really lock up the starting job by any means, so if the quarterback that they really like slips to the end of the first round, who knows? Yeah, it's hard to... Uh, really pinpoint a need with the Super Bowl winning team because you want to think, you know, there is very few weaknesses. But like you said, there is contracts expiring. Um, I still think this team needs offensive line help, and when you're bringing in a new quarterback or a a young quarterback, you certainly want them to be protected. Um, Right now in my mock, i got Taylor Decker going to them at 31. Uh, He's he's listed as a tackle at Ohio State. I think he's probably going to find a home as a guard there in the NFL. Um, I also think uh, defensive line, a guy like Adolphus Washington should be there around at the end of the second. So I, I think he can 
uh, do some good things, especially in in their three four style. He's a perfect a perfect uh, you know Swiss Army knife, I think, if you will, in that three four scheme. Um, he's not a he's not a guy that's going to stand up, but he's certainly a guy that can play both you know left and right defensive end and play on the nose if you need him to. Um, they're losing Malik Jackson probably more than likely. Somebody's going to overpay for him. Just because he's the Super Bowl, you know, on the Super Bowl winning team, I think people are going to want to steal him away from them. But I think a guy like Washington, where you can, you know, use him maybe on the nose in certain situations, you know, short yardage situations, a guy that creates a lot of a lot of penetration is good with his hands up the middle, and you know, maybe on some longer passing downs, you can uh, you can push him out to. Uh, to defensive end, that type of thing. I think he's an, a nice piece that this team could add. Um, you know, one thing I think that gets a little bit lost, Nick, and I think it. we talked about a little bit last week with Jeff Lloyd, you know, some teams started four quarterbacks last year. I think backup quarterback is a really important position right now in the NFL, maybe more important than, it's, than people want to think it is because – you know, when your guy gets hurt, there's certainly a drop-off. It's You want to have a competent backup, but you know it's going to be a drop-off. And we saw that happen, especially in Dallas last year. Um, we saw it happen in Houston, you know, in a couple, you know, a couple different stories. Houston actually did make the playoffs, but um, I think adding another quarterback to this scheme is certainly something that they would want to consider, I think, later on in the draft, but I still think this team needs to get more solid up front in the offensive line. So that would be a direction I would lean early for them. So any, any other thoughts, Nick, on the, on this Denver team before we shut this door on the division? Uh, well, not to pile on Cody Latimer, but, uh, you know, a lot of times you see when a backup quarterback like Osweiler gets inserted into the game, uh, he has a more of a connection with the backup receivers because those are the guys he, guys he practices with. That's another knock against Latimer as we did not see that happen when Osweiler was inserted into the lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think he did catch a touchdown pass, but that was maybe the only pass he caught from Osweiler, so. Uh, I've got a few prospect profiles here to end up showing. Like I said, next week we'll be doing the NFC West. Um, I want to talk first about Kyler Sacro. It's kind of a hard name to say. Uh, Utah State Aggies, six six foot five, two hundred and thirty eight pound uh, outside linebacker. Uh, probably not thick enough to be a defensive end, but certainly a nice, uh, probably probably three, four outside linebacker, I would say. Um, he looks like a tight end, and that's that's not really a bad thing. His, his size is not prototypical, but he uses it well. His long arms and skinny frame make it very hard to block him cleanly. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah believes he could be a second or third round pick. I am not that optimistic, I do, but I do believe in his talent. Uh, maybe third or fourth round, I would say, late third, early fourth. Or late fourth, maybe. I do also worry about some of these longer frame guys in the front seven getting rolled up on in the heat of battle. Now, leg injuries for a for a player like this could be very detrimental to their future success. Uh, he is definitely, I think, a sub-package guy early, and uh, he will, I think, build stamina towards being a three-down, three-four outside linebacker for a team like 
all Baltimore or the Jets, Detroit, Baltimore should consider him, I think. Yes, I know I said Baltimore twice, uh, but that's where I have him landed in my mock right now. I think he's a player that they could do some good things with. Uh, as for us IDP guys, I think you can consider Fackrell kind of the Preston Smith of this year's class. Uh, draft him late with cautious optimism. I think he's a player that could grow into to something really nice. Uh, he's not a he, he does have a decent pass rush in college. I don't think he's going to be a double-digit sack guy at the next level, but uh, with that frame, I think he's going to do some do some good things, and he's a guy that we want to consider an IDP starter maybe two or three years down the road. Any questions there about Fackrell, Nick? Uh, well, you mentioned he's probably not going to be a double-digit sack guy. Is he more of a run stopper, or is he a guy that's going to be able to shut down the tight end and cut pass coverage? Uh, what's his strength? Um. The film, you know, because of this little bit smaller school film, is somewhat limited on him. But, And I didn't see a whole lot of pass coverage, but I think, you know, we talked about it a while ago when we talked about J. Ron Kirsch. Having a guy with that type of height, it certainly is going to help him in pass coverage. He, I didn't see him get burned terribly. Obviously, you know, tight ends at the NFL level are a little bit different than he, he saw out there in the, uh, the Mountain West or whatever the conference is there. But um, I I think he's a guy that could do that. And But I, with, with that long frame, I think he's certainly a guy that could, you know, bat a lot of balls at the line too. And he's not a bad run stopper just because he's got those long arms and he can, he can, he can reach and get, get through some people. And like I said, he's definitely an interesting size being six five two thirty eight, but he's and he, he like I said, looks like a a tight end or a bigger bigger receiver. But he is really hard to for for guys to hit square in the chest. He just does not open himself up to uh, to that a lot, which I think is a, pl- a thing that works to his advantage. Um, Paul Perkins, running back, UCLA Bruins, five foot eleven, two hundred and ten pounds. Uh, creates a lot of space for himself with a very quality uh, wiggle. Possesses incredible nose for the sticks. Displays the right kind of patience in bursts. His bursts are calculated and effective. He has just this suddenness to his game, I think, that really makes his – that's really going to help him translate at the next level versus bigger, stronger NFL competition. His solid hands could be used in a in – a, can be can be cause for an in-season PPR alert. Excuse me. He could end up being the best PR RB option of this class. I do believe that. A mid to late first round pick in rookie drafts, more than likely, and a second to fourth round pick in the actual NFL draft. Uh, teams like Denver, the Jets, Oakland, Houston could use his skills, and they all certainly have a need there at running back. I would like to see a little bit more upper body bulk out of Perkins over the summer, but I do really like him. Um, like I said, I think he's going to have he's, – he's got the nice RB mold, but I think he just needs to get a, bit, a little bit stronger in the upper body there. Any questions about Perkins, Ernie? Well, you mentioned he's got good hands, uh, PPR alert. Uh, do, you think, uh, do you think he's more of a th- – uh, just a third down back, or could he be? Is he big enough to be an every down back? Um, I didn't. Geez, I didn't throw any comparisons about him. I think there's been some Devonte Freeman 
comparisons thrown around about him. I, I, I see that a little bit. Um, but I, and I, but I, and I don't think he's going to be relegated to a third down back. I, I don't totally agree with the Freeman com, uh, comparison, but I think, you know, maybe he's a third down back as a rookie and he grows into it. You know, he's, he does kind of remind me, I know he's not the same size, but he does remind me of a, of a Charles Sims type of guy where he's, he's a good pass catcher. I don't think he's as good as pass catcher as Sims, but he's certainly a, a guy that's going to be able to work on that and it's going to help him carve a niche in the offense, and I think as as his career progresses, maybe sooner than most running backs, I think he's going to get that opportunity to carry the ball on first and second down. And um, yeah, he's he's a really exciting player to watch if you haven't watched film on him. He just he just has just a lot of a lot of fun things. I I think that it's, it's very intriguing about him. So um, tight end, we will get to one one tight end here in the class of Hunter Henry. Uh, six foot five, two hundred and fifty pound kid. Um, gosh, this guy just screams Tyler Eifert clone to me. He's also been compared to Greg Olson. Um, he moves. His moves are strong and swift. A plus hands and agility. Um, I think he could make an immediate impact. Unlike past top tight ends Eric Ebron and Max Williams, um, he wasn't used a whole lot. But when he was needed, he was in a very effective player there for the Razorbacks. Um, obviously, if he's effective as a rookie, it all really is going to depend on landing spot. If you went to a place like Green Bay, I think he could beat out Richard Rodgers in a month's time. Um, if he went to Cleveland, I think he could he would be Gary Barnage's protege, and we would see him emerge, you know, in 2017 and 2018 to be a top eight option. Um, He's lined up all over the place in college, and he seems to have a very solid IQ, football IQ, excuse me. His routes are very sound. Um, it's hard to encourage people on a rookie tight end, but I think uh, mid, to, mid to early second round pick in rookie drafts right now, even before we even know his landing spot, he'll probably be the first or second tight end off the board, more than likely the first in the actual NFL draft and probably in rounds two or three, if round two, I think that team will definitely have a need. And then we should be maybe be a little more excited about him. Any questions there about Hunter Henry? Um, so you mentioned he lined up all over the field. So he played some like wide receiver and fullback and stuff like that. Is that right? Yeah. A little more, you know, slot and, you know, certainly outside as well. Um, a, a little bit of fullback, not not a whole lot of it, more, you know, off-line type of tight end, kind of did some motion man type stuff too. So um, this tight end class is kind of kind of weak, so I think he's, you know, it's very easy for somebody to stick out because you see you see the real talent there with Henry. So, uh, but I, I do really like him. I'm not saying I like him more than Eric Ebron. I just think he's going to have a little bit, a little bit easier depending on landing spot, I think he certainly could be a little bit more effective because maybe his lack of use in college, you know, helped him, you know, really figure out blocking and whatnot, what he needs to do. And the fact that they felt comfortable enough with him to line him up all over the field, I think says a lot about, uh, about him and what he's going to, how he's going to progress at the next level there. So any, any other questions there about Henry? 
Um, who was his competition for uh, top tight end? You mentioned there was pretty much top two guys, but he was probably going to be number one. Uh, well, it kind of fluctuates depending on who you talk to or who, who you're watching. Um, I know Austin Hooper. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago uh, with Jack Fulmer there from Pacific Takes. He is certainly up there, um, and Jarrell Adams out of South Carolina is a guy that people people like and can do some certain things. But Henry, by far and away, I think is is the best tight end in this class. I think he's you know I, I wouldn't be totally surprised if he wasn't the first tight end taken because if you're taking a tight end you know beyond round two, it's certainly because you have a need or you you think he fits your system better. But I think more than likely he'll be the first first guy off the board. There are some later guys that I really like. Um, David Morgan out of uh, University of Texas at San Antonio. Um, just a, a very exciting player. Another guy like Henry that lines up all over the place. Um, the the Griswold kid out of Arkansas State I like a lot, too. Um, I think it's Darian Griswold. Sorry if that last name is wrong, but I like him, too. I mentioned Duarte earlier. Um, but Tyler Higby out of uh, Western Kentucky, a lot of people are excited about him and what what he brings. But like I said, the class is not not too encouraging, which is not unlike a lot of classes. You know, there's usually one or two guys that people get excited about. It's just very easy for Henry to stick out in this class, so I would be cautious about that. But I certainly think, given the right situation for Henry, he has 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 a bright future there if used in the right way there. So that's all we have for you today. This has been the Dynasty Pulse podcast. Nick, any more thoughts there on the AFC West? Uh, no, I think we wrapped it up pretty well. Um be really interesting to see what happens with that Denver Bronco quarterback situation, though. Yeah, I wish, you know, besides all the other off-field news, I wish we Manning would just uh, make a decision there. I don't think he's going to be back regardless, but, uh, yeah, it'll be... It'll be interesting to see what happens. I know you talked about RG3 being linked to them, and uh, Cousins hasn't locked up yet with uh, with uh, Washington, so who, so who knows? Um, but uh, there's certainly options out there in the draft and uh, in there. I, you know, I would be surprised if Denver. You you said that earlier, but the more that I think about, it, I would be surprised if they went for a guy early in the draft, just because I don't think. It's hard for a team, you know, that has a lot of other pieces in place to go with a rookie quarterback and expect to to go farther into the into the playoffs. But you know, if they if they if they lock up Osweiler for a decent amount and they they really like some guy there in the second, maybe maybe they go they go for it. But to, to kind of push Osweiler along, you know, make him perform that type of thing. So. Uh, I'd like to say the Super Bowl champion is going to come out of this division, but I'm not quite there yet. So we'll see. We'll see when we have our prediction show in late August. Who we, who we predict to, to to make it to the Super Bowl? But uh, that's all we have for you. Like like I said, uh, next week Bill Latin is going to be joining us. We talked about the AFC West and his Arizona Cardinals. NFC West, excuse me. Um, we'll be going through the divisions here in the next coming months here on the podcast leading up to the draft. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we appreciate you, and we would appreciate you sharing this podcast with your friends, too. If you if you know somebody who likes Dynasty or you know that we're going to be talking about uh, one of your friends' teams here in the next couple months, uh, let, uh, let, let them know, and we, uh, we'll 
try to do what we can for you. If you have any questions again about a certain division, just uh, just let us know, and we'll try to hit them. So thank you very much, uh, Nick. As always, have a good week, bud. Yeah, we'll talk to you next week, Josh. Have a good one. <laughs> It's not it's not essentially so much the actual forty time as it is the ten yard split. And part of it is is look, we're in an era with some ridiculously talented defensive players. Guys like JJ Watt with the amazing size, athletic ability and quickness that they have, these guys are gonna blow up a running play in three quarters of a second.